are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to read to you from some verses from the first chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to say to you before I even read the Scripture tonight, I'm going to preach on something tonight that I've preached on before some years ago in this church. Now, as you know, I've been preaching a lot here, and I'm in my 40th year. And I have repeated a few sermons, not a great many, but I've repeated a few. And I remember some time ago when I was preaching on something I'd preached before. And a lot of people, you know, they write out in the margin of the Bible, uh, they mark the text, and they write out in the margin of the Bible the date. And a lot of you folks here do that. And the preacher's name that preached from that text. So some time ago I was preaching a sermon. I'd preached before, and when I got through with the service, Someone came up with a Bible open and this funny look on their face and said, March the 4th, 1964. In other words, you're not fooling me. I, you preached on this before. So I want to take all the fun out of it if any of you meant to do that tonight and just tell you I'm preaching something tonight that I have preached before. And I know you're just Hilarious about me telling you about it. Now let's look at the Word of God, Luke chapter 1, and begin reading with verse 5. And may the Lord speak to our hearts out of the wonderful Word of God tonight. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea. Now this was the same king who was enthroned when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Also, when John the Baptist was born, there was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Arian, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, in this verse, they were righteous before God. Now, not just before men, but God who knew them, as no one knew them, knew they walked righteously before God. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they were both now well stricken in years. It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him, that is, unto Zacharias, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a wonderful passage of Scripture. I'd like to read more because it's such a thrilling and wonderful part of the Word of God. But I want you to notice tonight for the text, verse 15, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And if I had a subject tonight, a title, to attach to this message, it would be this. While John the Baptist was great in the sight of the Lord. Now notice I didn't say just why he was great, but great in the sight of the Lord. You know, there are many wonderful things about this man, John the Baptist. He was prophesied in the Old Testament. He's one of those characters that emerge on the pages of the New Testament whose coming and emergence was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. He being a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before John the Baptist was born, predicted that there would come one who would go before the Lord Jesus, crying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. But that's not the thing that made him great. Here's a man born in answer to prayer. You know, there's a wonderful thing here when you see Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now they were both old people. He was an old priest functioning in the temple. His wife Elizabeth was a barren woman. Now barrenness was a heartache to godly people in Bible times. And Elizabeth was barren. What made the matter worse? Not only was she barren and had been that way, even in her younger years, now she's an old woman. And Zacharias is an old man. But they never gave up. 
praying. They wanted God to give them a child, and they wanted a man-child. And God heard their prayer. You know, folks, there's no situation in this world that prayer can't solve. If we could believe that, I mean, if I could always believe God is able to answer prayer under the most difficult circumstances. He took an elderly couple. The womb of the woman had been barren all of her life, but they never quit praying. God answered their prayer and brought joy to their hearts and announced to them by an angel of God, a child will be born. This is what you're going to name him. You're going to name him John. But the, the fact that they were praying people is not the thing necessarily that made John the Baptist great. He was a relative, humanly speaking, to Jesus Christ. His mother, Elizabeth, and Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, were cousins. There was three months difference in the ages of John the Baptist and Jesus, John the Baptist being a little older. And they were, late, were related, humanly speaking, because their mothers were cousins. Their mothers were related. John the Baptist had, I guess, as great a privilege as anybody could ever have. One day while he was baptizing, he looked up and saw coming down the bank of the river Jordan one whom he knew, and it was Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus wade out into the waters of Jordan and say to him, Baptize me. John said, I have need to be baptized of thee. This humble man said, I'm not worthy. Oh, to think of putting one's hands on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and burying him in the waters of baptism. Jesus said, Suffer to be so. Now for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And John the Baptist, oh, I think his heart quivered with emotion as he baptized one whom he knew to be the Son of God soon to hang upon a cross and die for the sins of the world. He baptized the one who made the waters of the river Jordan. What a privilege. But that's not what made him great. Now the Bible said he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now a lot of people talk about great things. I've heard a lot of folks talk about Great preachers. Great preachers. I doubt if we know exactly who the real great preachers are. It may not be some preacher that preaches to multitudes. It may not be some preacher in a large city church. It may be some faithful man of God out at the little country crossroads who's never missed the mark and has faithfully and constantly preached the Word of God and has never lowered the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ. We don't know who great preachers are, really. You see, he should be great in the sight of the Lord. 
I know a lot of folks talk about great churches. And I suppose there are such things. But you know, when, when we talk about a great church, we ought to be talking about a great church in the sight of God. If we could know tonight how much of the work of God is, is not really deep and not really spiritual in churches, I think it'd shock us right out of our seats. God only knows the great church. Great in the sight of God. I've heard folks talk about great sermons, great revivals. Now I'm saying to you, here is a man that the Bible said, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now man didn't think he was so great. Some men one night went down in a prison cell where he was because he preached against sin. They took him out and put his head on the top and block and chopped it off and martyred, murdered John the Baptist, put that head in a platter, carried it into a banquet room where there was drinking and sin and made mock in front of him. The world never said John the Baptist was great. And here's a verse of Scripture that says the inspired Word of God said, He shall be great in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I never will forget some years ago when that Scripture seemed to grip my heart, great in the sight of the Lord. And I said to myself, God, I think in this passage of Scripture will tell us why John the Baptist was great in the sight of the Lord. And let me tell you something, friend. If you and I have an aspiration to be great, it ought to be an aspiration and an ambition to be great in the sight of God more than in the sight of men. The only argument they ever had in the apostolate, as far as I know, the only one recorded for sure, was when two brothers, James and John, uh, had the desire to sit one on the right hand, the other on the left hand, when Jesus came into his kingdom, they wanted so badly, they sent their mother to make the request of Jesus. She said, when you come into your glory, they thought it might be sooner, much sooner than it's going to be. She said, let one of my sons, James or John, sit on your right hand, the other sit on the left. Here are two men that said, we want the chief seats. We want to be the greatest. We want the exaltation above the others. Jesus said, Are you able to be baptized with a baptism I'll be baptized with? And he's not talking about baptism in water, but baptism in blood. He said, This is not mine to give, but it's of my Father's to give to you. Then he said, He that will be great among you let him be your minister, our servant. And so I'll say to you right in the beginning tonight, there's no greatness in the eyes of God without service before God and two people. He said, if you would be great among you, and who will ever be the greatest among you, let him be your minister. And he said, 
The Son of Man came, came not to be ministered unto, but rather to minister. I'm talking tonight about what it takes to be great in the sight of God, not just in the sight of men. Now, first of all, I read of this man, he should be great in the sight of God, and there are two ands, ands in this verse. He should be great in the sight of God, and he'll drink no strong wine, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's another verse in the New Testament has the same contrast in it. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, or wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And this, this verse says, John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Now, I used to look at that and I just, I was amazed, really. And many a time, I've said to myself, how can a little baby be born into this world filled with the Holy Spirit even when it's born? I still do not understand it all. I don't know whether anybody does, but I know I don't understand it all. But I do know that one day, after I'd prayed many a time, Lord, give me the answer to this. I've had people come to me and say, what, what about this, this verse that says a, a man was born, and even from a baby, as a baby from his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I used to pray for an answer. One day I was reading this chapter again, and again, and again. I came to verse 41, and I read that one day these two mothers met. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John, both of them expecting a child in a little while. And when the two met, Mary, the mother of Jesus, spoke to her husband, Elizabeth. The Bible says the babe, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. And she, that's Elizabeth, she was filled with the Holy Ghost. No wonder... John the Baptist was born filled with the Spirit of God because he lay in a mother's womb, dominated and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let no woman say to me, Yeah, you men, you men, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let no woman say that to me. Because this Bible speaks of women knowing the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. John the Baptist, you, you say, well, I don't know how anybody could be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, uh, even from their mother's womb. No, I really don't understand it either. I don't understand how the Lord said to Jeremiah, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, He said, I've called you to be a prophet. I think that's Tom Jr.'s, Tom Malone Jr.'s life verse, Jeremiah 1.5. I don't understand. God said before Jeremiah was born, You're going to be a prophet from your mother's womb. You are ordained of God to be a prophet. I don't understand about the Apostle Paul, who studied to be a rabbi, who hated Christians and put them to death and persecuted them over and over again. But then one day the Lord saved him. He looked back and wrote in his Galatian letter, he said, God, by His grace, separated me from my mother's womb and called me to preach unto the Gentiles. 
I think it means God who knows everything knows our future better than we know our present or past. Ordained of God, this man would be a spirit-filled preacher. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, my friends, let me say to you tonight, and I've preached for weeks on this subject, there is no such thing as blessing from God without being possessed and dominated and energized by the blessed Holy Spirit. Oh, if we, if we tonight, if every one of us in this building, every Christian man, every Christian woman in this building tonight could just say to God, O oh Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God who lives and dwells in my body. I want Him to fill me, dominate me, have the preeminence in my life, and not only just dwell in me, but control me. John the Baptist was spirit-filled, full of the Spirit of God. You know, there's a wonderful verse over in Zechariah chapter 4, and I think verse 4, verse 6, says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Not by might nor by power. I've read where some Bible students have said, that means not by man or by armies, not by might nor by power, not by men or armies of men, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Now what's it talking about? God had said to a man by the name of Zerubbabel, Now, Zerubbabel, you have to go and finish building the temple. It all been destroyed. You know the story. Nehemiah built the walls, and, and another, others built the temple, and others restored the rituals. After the people of God had been in shame for 70 years, and captivity, and bondage, and servitude. And the Lord said, Now, Zechariah, uh, Zerubbabel, You've got to finish rebuilding this great house of God. And then God said, O mountain, before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. And then he said, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You know what God is saying? He's saying, Zerubbabel, this thing is going to look like a, a mountain to you. And it is, if you had only human power. But with the power of the Spirit of God. God said, I'm going to level off that mountain, and you're going to walk on level ground, just like it was a plain. You know, folks, when we have obstacles to overcome, and who doesn't? You know, everybody in this room tonight cut off the same bolt of cloth. Everybody. When we have problems, and problems are common, are common to all people, and save people when we have them. Or if we could just say, now Lord, here's a mountain, and I know there's no human power can scale its heights and overcome it, but by the Spirit of God. Put me on the other side of it. That's what God said in Zechariah to Zerubbabel. John the Baptist was great because he was filled with the Spirit of God. Do you know he was great for another reason? I mean, in the sight of God. In the sight of God. 
he was great because he was a soul winner. Verse 16 says, And he shall turn the hearts of many to the Lord our God. This man's going to be great because he's going to point people to Jesus and turn people to Christ. And he's going to be a soul winner. And I want to tell you, I believe the greatest people in this world in the sight of God are people whose heart's interest is getting somebody saved. John was. God said, you'll be great in the sight of the Lord because he's going to turn many people to the Lord. And he did. He went up and down the Jordan Valley. The Bible says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Great crowds went out to see this common, plain-looking man clothed in the garments of animals, eating from the fruits of the trees and the vines, living out there in communion with God. Thousands came, heard him preach, and many believed and were baptized. He was a great soul winner. You know, Matthew 4, 19 said, Jesus saw James and John, they're already saved. Both of them knew the Lord. He saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he said, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Paul said, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. By us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. James said, Let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Men shall hide a multitude of sins. Well, I tell you, I, I wept the other night when it flashed on the, on the television screen about the plane wreck in Washington, D.C., where I guess some 70, a little over, a little more than 70 people lost their lives. A tragic, tragic accident. Well, I saw, I saw that one of those people, I think five survivors. I saw one of them, a woman, she was so in shock, her eyes rolled back in her head. They let down the life belt from the helicopter. And she held on to it as long as she could, but her arms, her whole body was numb. And her strength was gone. And about halfway, her arms gave out and she turned loose. There she was, shock in shock, and going down. And all kinds of people stood on the shore. All these people had studied rescue methods and, and had the equipment. All of them stood there. It's right in the picture. There were dozens of them. But a bystander who's on his way home from work saw it, jumped in the water, brought the woman, and saved her life. And they interviewed him that night. You, you probably heard it. And uh, in substance, he said, I did the thing that I, did, I felt like doing. He said, wasn't the water cold? He said, I never. Wasn't, he didn't even think about the water being cold. He said, the first time I thought about being cold is when we were on the way to the hospital. And they put something around me in the ambulance. Ambulance. Listen. He was, look, he was called a hero. Because he saved someone from drowning. But I want to tell you tonight, God, and he is a hero. God bless him. I, I, I wept when I saw a humble man who risked his life to save somebody else. But I want to tell you, God's heroes are the people 
who risked their life to win people to Jesus Christ. You want to be a hero for God? Be a soul winner. Win somebody to Jesus. Oh, I tell you, if God could do that for us tonight. I remember one Sunday night in this very auditorium some years ago. The people of God in this church were in a mighty revival. Not an evangelistic campaign. But I, 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 the spirit of revival was sweeping through this church in a tremendous way. And one Sunday night, I stood in this very pulpit, and I said, I would like for every person in this audience who has won someone to Jesus Christ this past week to stand, 110 people stood. I said, if you won one, hold up one finger, two, three, whatever. And they did. I said to ushers, now you count them. 110 people stood. And they counted. We tallied it up. And the people in a Sunday night audience in this church had won 190 people to Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, all of them didn't really get saved, and somebody just gave a big report. No, no, you're mistaken. We baptized that day 78 people. One Sunday night, one audience of people in this church said we won 190 people to Jesus Christ, and that Sunday, 78 were baptized. Now, I don't call myself a good soul winner. And I, I mean that if, if I ever meant anything, I'm as sincere when I say that as I am when I say I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But I want to tell you the greatest blessing I've ever had is getting somebody saved. I never will forget leading old Brother Art McVeigh's sister to the Lord and two weeks later leading him to the Lord. And I can just see him now. He, you know, he never attended a service in this church. You may think that's strange, but... You'd have to know Arthur McVeigh. But many a time he'd come out, he'd sit along about back there in this section right here, all along two or three rows from the back, he'd come in and sit. And he'd look, and he'd think, and he'd pray, and he'd cry, and he'd weep. And over and over again, he'd say to me, Thank you, Brother Malone, for leading me to the Lord. And in these walls of this church tonight are $20,000 of that man's money he gave. And over yonder where people are being trained to preach the gospel and win the lost are some acres. One day he said, here's $5,000. You go over there and put it down on that property. Why, when I met him, I almost felt like saying to him, Do you need some money? And the only reason I didn't was because I didn't have any. But he was the most pitiful looking man I ever saw. But oh my, what God did. 239 State Street. And I thought of it the other day when I went to 121 State Street where some of you have been. Brother Ogles brother and sister Walters and others to talk to some people that need the Lord 
And I thought of 239 State Street. The little old woman was dying. And I took her little old hand as white as that handkerchief. Held her hand. She wouldn't weigh a hundred pounds. She said, I've been a church member all my life, but I'm not saved and I'm going to die. And I want to go to heaven. And I read her the gospel out of the New Testament. She trusted the Lord and two weeks later, they took that little old frail body and buried her. And the next day, her brother got saved right there in that home. And I won't tell you, I wouldn't take anything in the world for it. I, I wouldn't, there's no money, amount of money. If somebody would say, I'd buy that experience and give you a great sum of money, I'd laugh at them. The greatest experience a human being ever had is to win a soul to Jesus Christ. I think of people in this church who's, who've led people to the Lord. And listen, the folks, the folks they want never will forget it. I have people say to me even now, why, Brother Wallace Swanson led me to the Lord. You know, person that you lead to the Lord, they'll, they'll never forget you any more than um, a child would forget who bore them into the world or who their father was. I tell you, there's something great about getting somebody saved. John the Baptist is great because he's so well. You know, he's great because he had convictions. If you, in the sight of God, if, if a person wants to be great, mark it down, you're going to have to stand for something. He stood for something. One day he put his hand under a king's nose and he said, You're living in sin and you have your own brother's wife and it's wrong. And he lost his head, but he had conviction. You know, I think preachers ought to have conviction. I had a dear preacher come see me this week, been in, been the minister a long time, been in the church where he is now, 13 years. And he said, Brother Tom, I told the people of our church how I thought a Christian ought to live if they're going to hold an office and teach a Sunday school class. And he said, didn't ask anybody to sign anything, didn't say do this else, but I said, this is, this is what the standard. And families rose up against him, and he came and he just wept. I said, Preacher, you know, that's, that's standard equipment with a ministry. Just like if you buy a car, you know, steering wheels, standard equipment. You knew that, didn't you? Well, that's standard equipment. If, if anybody has convictions... Opposition comes right along with it. John the Baptist stood for something. Why, one day he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. He was in prison, and he asked Jesus this question. He said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus said, You go back and tell him thus and so. And then when they went back, they said of those, Jesus said, Of those born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Then he said this. Listen to it now. He said, what went you out in the wilderness to see? A wind shaken by the wind? He said, this man, John the Baptist, is not blown about like a reed in the wind. He said, what went you out in the wilderness to see? Someone dressed in silk garments? He said, they that wear soft clothing dwell in king's palaces. 
he said, uh, this man is the greatest ever been born of women. Why? He had conviction. He was in jail. In jail because of his conviction. Now, don't do like some fundamentalists try to do. They deliberately try to get in jail. Now, don't try to get in. Just do right. Then if you get in, all right. But don't, don't try to get in. Don't take a great big black Bible and go up to somebody and say, Bless God, I'm not going to do so and so. Then you may get in and you ought to be in and you ought to stay in. You ought never to get out. But John the Baptist, for doing right, got put in jail. I was preaching one time in a place, and I, when I go away, I preach just like I preach here. Some folks think a preacher preaches one way at home, and he preaches somewhere, goes somewhere else, he preaches different. No. But a preacher said to me, and I wrote it down in my Bible, he said, if I preached that way, he said, these people would run me off. And I'd already been there two, three days, and... I didn't solicit any comments, but folks had already said to me that uh, they dissatisfied with him and they wanted to get rid of him. And he said to me, Why, if I preached the way you preached, I'd get run off. I said to him, Brother, the rumors I hear is that you may get run off. So you better go ahead and get in some licks before you go. They said to old Sam Jones, you know, they said, you rubbed the fur the wrong way. He said, turn the cat around. <laughs> they said to a preacher one time, you step on our toes. He said, move your feet. Now, I'm not trying to be smart. I'm just naturally smart. I'm not trying to be smart. But listen, you know, God wants us to have convictions. He wants you to have convictions. He wants you to stand for something. You know, there's some people so wishy-washy, no backbone. They're saved and they're going to heaven, but they don't have good Christian character and they won't stand for anything. This man was great in the eyes of the Lord because he stood for something. Every once in a while somebody says, well, that preacher's a negative preacher. Well, I positively am. A negative preacher. I wouldn't give you a nickel for a preacher didn't say, Don't do that! And hit the pulpit three, four times and it does. You know, they talk about being positive. Well, I positively am going to be just as negative as I can. Old John the Baptist was. And he had great conviction. Well, let's get something else here because... It's time to go, but this is so good. You're going to enjoy this next point now. Really, you are. I wouldn't cheat you out of this, this next point for anything in the world. You're just going to really love this. Because John the Baptist was great in the eyes of the Lord because he was humble. Aren't you enjoying it already? You, they came to John the Baptist and they said, Who are you? And he made three statements. Oh, what wonderful statements. First of all, John 1, 23, he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. They said, what? A voice? Is that all you are? That's all I am. They said, but why are you baptizing all these people? He said, there cometh one after me, 
the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. Then he made a third statement. He said, There standeth one among you whom you know not. He pointed people to Jesus. And you know, my dear friend, that's what God wants every one of us to do. I, whatever you do for the Lord, if it doesn't point to Jesus, if it points this way, it's wrong. It must point to Jesus. You know, that's true of a preacher. That's true of a singer. Whatever you do, that's true of a teacher. That's true of a bus driver. Do it for Jesus, not for self. He was a humble man. Charles Dickens wrote of a lady, met her preacher on the street one morning, and the preacher had been preaching a series of sermons on humility. And she said, you know, I enjoyed those sermons, Reverend, because humility is my long suit. Preacher shook his head. Humility is something that's elusive, you know. If you think you got it, you just lost it. It's like a, a preacher, a young preacher one time staying with a dear old lady, a Christian lady staying in her home while he's preaching. And uh, when he got ready to preach, he ran back and he walked upon the pulpit like an overstuffed Methodist bishop. And he sat into preaching. And his sermon turned out like some of mine have turned out sometime. It just fell flat. And he got so embarrassed while he was preaching, and he kept getting more bowed and lower and lower, and finally he wound it up, and with head bowed and shoulders stooped, he walked off of the platform. The old lady came to him, and she said, Son, if you had a widow like you come down. You could have come down like you went up. Isn't that good? Yeah. That's that's what it's all about. Listen. The Bible says consider Him. It says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time you may be exalted. And let me tell you, humility is a byproduct of something. Humility is a byproduct of your life being surrendered to God and getting an eye full of Jesus. You won't be so proud of little old self when you have your eyes upon the Lord and you yield it to Him. He was a humble Christian. He was willing to pay a price and he paid it. He paid it with his life. You know, I think if you're going to be great in the sight of God, if we are, we're going to have to be willing to pay the price. Good many years ago in this country, over here in the Shenandoah Valley, there was a young farmer boy and his new wife who gave their lives to God. They answered the call to the mission field, and they went down to the fever-infested jungles of South America and she bore him some children, and they labored for the Lord on the mission field. And one night, she took very sick, and she got sicker and sicker. The days wore on, and there was no hope for her there. So 
they finally decided to leave their children. And he put his wife in a little boat and put it on the river and went down the river. And when the sun set that first night trying to get back to civilization where his wife might be treated, when the sun set, he pulled the little boat over to the bank and lifted his wife out and, and made provision to spend the night. And that night, she got worse and worse. He could hardly hear her words, and she reached up and put her arms around his neck and pulled his head down and whispered in his ear, his ear and he, she said, John, go back. Go back. Don't go home. Go back to the mission field. And that night he died, she died. He dug a hole on the bank of that little river and laid his life's mate in the ground. And got back in that boat and headed back for the mission field. John and Betty Stam knew what it meant to pay a price. And I'll tell you, friend, if this Bible be true, since this Bible be true, if we ever expect to be used of God, we've got to be willing to pay the price. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.